All right, so let's, let's get into it this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Matthew. And we're going to be, uh, because we're not at the moment systematically going through one portion of Scripture, we're, we're looking at the topic of what it means to be better together. We are going to look at different Scriptures. Normally, as a church, we go through one book, verse by verse, systematically preach it, say, what is the gospel wanting us to see here? But today, and in this sermon series, we're looking at what would be, what a topical sermon series, Better Together. So we're going to start in the book of Matthew, chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles at the four corners of our auditorium. Those are a gift to you. Feel free to grab one, and it'll also be up on the screen this morning. I'm reading from the ESV version, Matthew chapter 4. Verse 18 through 22, this is what the word of the Lord says. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Galilee, he, speaking of Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Look at verse 20. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of, Ze- son of Zebedee, uh, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them, same thing, verse 22, immediately they left the boat and their follow, and father and followed him. Sorry, Dad. I had to say just... Now, this is striking to us, and if you've watched The Chosen, or if you watch any movie on the Gospels, it kind of puts some legs to it, kind of helps you understand, and, and, you know, that's all just, people are just, maybe this is how it happened, but Scripture here says something very profound for us who are calling ourselves disciples of Jesus is that the moment that Jesus calls these guys into following him, it says, immediately, Immediately, they drop their nets. Immediately, they leave their dad. Immediately, they stop what they're doing, and they follow Jesus. For most of us, we get that and we go, yeah, that's really good for those guys. (laughs) That's really cool for Bible people, you know? If the Bible was going to be written about us, yeah, we'd totally be having to immediately follow Jesus, but for most of us who live in the year 2021, with all the realities of life, with all of the complications that, you know, that they didn't have, that we have today, that word immediately seems a little far out there. But if we're saying, no, we're meant to be disciples of Jesus, we have to apply that word immediately to ourselves and to our lives. And most of us in this room here today would probably say, if I'm a follower of Jesus, I have, I have done these. I've felt the immediately's of when Christ has called me. But we would probably, if we were completely honest, say there are probably areas in our lives where we haven't given over to the immediately's as well. And see, God is so committed to us. God is so loving to us that he works through the areas of our lives where we still withhold the immediately's from him. Amen? And he calls us, and he woos us, and he gently keeps saying, hey, come follow me, come follow me. And part of this following Jesus is not just to be a part of a group who calls themselves Southlands Chino. Part of this following Jesus is not to have a badge that says Christian. Part of this following of Jesus is to co-labor with Christ, is to be on mission with Christ. And that is our mission here at Southlands Chino, folks. See, we have a mission. Our mission is to be and make 
disciples of Jesus. That's our mission. And the first part is the being. You can't make a disciple without first being a disciple. And that being a disciple is something that we will continue to do for the rest of our lives if we call ourselves Christians. It's not like we cross this line of faith and then all of a sudden, now we've got everything figured out. Now everything is just easy and God lays every single step for us, one, two, three, four, and he gives us a checklist laying at the foot of our bed every morning. Wouldn't that be amazing? I would just, Lord, can you just please do that? But he doesn't do that. He calls us into this thing of faith, and this faith equals being a disciple. And it's an active process that we are called to do every single day that we wake up to the moment we put our head down on our pillow. It just recycles and recycles, and it's this thing where we surrender and surrender. And that's the mission, that's the co-laboring that Jesus has called us to is part of it is being a disciple. But it doesn't just stay here. It doesn't just stay within our person. It then is meant to go outward. It's, we are better together, not, not just because we're all smiling. We're better together, not just because we like each other. We're better together, not just because we gather on a Sunday and everybody is hugging one another and goes out to lunch and all of those good things that we do relationally. We're also better together because of the other par- portion is that we're not just disciples, but that we're called to be making disciples. Thank you for whoever said amen. Now, we're better together, friends, because you ever heard that saying, if you want to go fast, go alone. You want to go fast? Go alone. It's easy. If you don't have to worry about anybody else in the front who's going a little faster than you or in the back who's going slower than you, you could go at your own pace. You get there at your own time. You want something done, right? You do it yourself, right? No, that's not who we're called to be. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And friends, we are called to go far. And the going far is making disciples of Jesus. That will be it until Jesus comes back, until he returns and the trumpets shout and everyone is in in awe and trembling in fear and it'll be the great and terrible day where Jesus comes back with fire in his eyes and a tattoo on his leg and he's got a sword in his hand and he calls all of those who are, are disciples of him back to himself and for the rest of us may not be a great and amazing day but that is the co-labor that you and I disciples of Jesus are called to. And it's not, again, that we do it by ourselves, but we do it all together. We are better together. Here's an illustration of this. If you know anything about horses, I actually had to look it up today, so I am not a horse expert, okay? The closest thing I get to a horse expert is that Marianne and I will walk some houses around here, and we see some horses, So I know what a horse looks like, all right? That's about as good as it gets. But I Googled it, and we know Google is 100% true 100% of the time. And so I Googled, all right, well, how much can one horse pull? And the average horse can pull about 8,000 pounds. Some of you are like, duh, everybody knows that, right? Well, I didn't know that. An average horse can pull about 8,000 pounds. Guess how many pounds two horses can pull? Don't say 16. Don't say 25. It's 32,000 pounds. See, there's something that happens when we're not going it alone that exponentially, when our 
Our unity, our togetherness calls us on a mission to plow a field, and we're trying this on our own, and 8,000 is pretty good. But if two of us are doing this, 32 is even better. Now imagine however many there are of us this morning, about 100 of us this morning, we go 100 times whatever that exponential number is. That is why we are better together, friends. That's what God's called us to. So let me give us some points here this morning on how we are better together as the people of God, as we co-labor together in, in what Jesus has called us to do. All right, so I'm going to give us some points. If you're taking notes, you can write them down. If you're not, they'll be up on the screen. But number one is there are no such thing as professional Christians. There's no such thing. No such thing as professional Christians. Now, I am, I'm super grateful for my church history. I, am, I'm so, I'm, I just think of the leaders that I sat under, the, the formative years um, that I was under as a, as a stupid, young, idiot punk who thought I knew everything and that so much grace was poured out for me and to me directly through some of the leaders that I sat under through the years. And just I'm so grateful for that. I think of the, the not just the, the leadership from the front, both on a Sunday morning or in a leadership gathering that I was privileged to sit under, but I think of the one-on-ones that I had. And I look back at those with fondness and, and how much it was formative for me. But also, I would have to say that there were some things, and we know this is true, there's no such thing as a perfect church, right? You've heard me say, the perfect church is like finding a leprechaun riding on a unicorn. It's just not going to exist. It doesn't happen. But there were some things within the church culture that weren't particularly great for me, and I, and I remember that it was almost as if there were seasons, and, and it seemed like if you were the pastor, if you were the leader, it was kind of your job to be the Christian. It was your job to make sure that you were evangelizing, if you were the pastor in the church. It was your job, if you were the pastor in the church, to be the person who knew everything about Scripture. It was your job, if you were the pastor in the church, to make sure the church was growing and there was health. And yes, we could also we can understand Scripture does charge the leaders and the pastors of the church. But with that culture came this idea, somehow, if I'm not the pastor of the church, that's not my job. It was either that's not my job, or I am underqualified to do those things. Neither of those things are true, friends. See, if you are a disciple of Jesus, you are called to co-labor with Jesus and co-labor with one another. And I'm not saying this to get out of it. It's not my job. It's y'all's job. And when I say y'all's, I'm included in that y'all. And that's a good word, y'all. All y'all's y'all, y'all, all. It's all y'all's job. And I'm all y'all. And if we look to me or Jeff or Mike or anybody else and say that's Mike's job, then we have totally created some kind of weird dichotomy in the body of Christ that all of a sudden, if you have a title after your name, then it's only this person's job to make sure that they're being a Christian. No, being a Christian is to be on mission with Jesus, and to be on mission with Jesus is everybody's job. All of us, all y'all. There's no such thing as professional Christians. And I would also encourage you and want you to understand that no one's role 
in being a disciple of Jesus is more important or less important? You remember we looked at the first week when we were talking about Better Together, we looked at the book of Corinthians, and Paul is encouraging the Corinthian church, and he says, stop squabbling. Knock it off. Stop it. This is nonsense. Let me remind you of who you are. You are the body of Christ, and some of you are a foot. Some of you are an eye. Some of you are ear, a nose. Some of you are whatever. You're all part of the body of Christ, and not anybody else can say, I have no need of you, or that they don't need me. We all need each other. No one is more important. No one is less important. If you're here, you have to be here because you're supposed to be here because God has called you to co-labor with this church and with Christ on the mission of making disciples of Jesus. You may not be the big loudmouth like me. Every Sunday, you got to listen to me for 15 minutes. All right, number two. Moving on. So there's, not, there's no professional Christians. Number two, we're all commissioned. Look at Matthew 28, and this is the most famous portion of Scripture that talks about the call that you and I have. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20. This is called the Great Commission. And this is Jesus speaking to his disciples before he's about to ascend. If you were going to say anything when you're about to leave the people that you love the most, and never see them again physically, what, the last thing you're going to say is going to be pretty important, don't you think? If I knew that I was leaving my family or I was on my deathbed or whatever the circumstance was, and I had one thing I was going to be able to say, I wouldn't be like, never eat mac and cheese without hot dogs. Because it's better that way, right? No, I would say something profound. And here's what Jesus tells his disciples in verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, this us this morning, we are the them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, this is the command, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, some versions say, obey all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you. You always to the end of the age. Who's the you? Who's the them that the narrative is speaking about? It's the disciples of Jesus. Who are disciples of Jesus today? Us, right here. You can copy and paste this into your life. If you don't know how to do that, you just drag over it until you see this little highlight thing. And then if you're on a Mac, which is way better than a PC, you just hit Command V. Command C copies it. Command V pastes it, all right? I have the mic, babe, not you. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Huh, I'm going to pay for that later. I love you, love. But what I'm trying to get you to see is this wasn't for some guys 2,000 years ago. This is for us. We co-labor with Jesus. Now, this co-laboring sometimes will seem exciting. I often think about my uh, being a disciple as like Frodo Baggins. You knew it was coming. So I often think of how Christianity is an adventure. It's an adventure. And there's some dangerous things to it. But we can kind of romanticize the adventure. But the reality is the adventure is costly. This is what Jesus said about if you're going to be co-laborers with him we go back some verses before Matthew chapter 8. He says this in verse 18. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders 
to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up to him. He's all excited. He says, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Yes, the co-labor is costly. And I do not want to deceive anyone here this morning and say, come to Christ. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be easy. Your life, you're going to have more money in your bank account that you know what to do with. Everybody's going to like you because you're a Christian. No, it's actually quite the opposite. When you come to Christ, you come and you die. And you lay your life down. And to be co-laboring with Jesus is costly. Not only that, we see that co-laboring with Jesus is not based on our preferences. If you continue reading, there's another guy right after this. Another disciple said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead, uh, and let the dead bury the dead. Harsh words, feels like. But the context here is this person is trying to put off, trying to put off, trying to put off, and get all their affairs, and opposite of Peter and Andrew, and James, and John, who immediately drop their nets. And Jesus says, follow me, and they immediately respond in obedience. And so being a co-laborer with Christ is not based on our preferences. Being a co-laborer of Christ means we do whatever Jesus calls us to do. Whatever Jesus says is what we do. We don't like that. We do not like that in 2021. America doesn't like that in 2021. How dare you tell me what I should do? I am the captain of my own life. No, if you are a disciple of Jesus, you follow Jesus and he might ask you and he, he will ask you to do things that are very hard. If we want to be co-laboring with Christ, it's not based on Monday's not good for me. It's based on yes, Lord. Whatever you say, I will do. But the encouragement is, as we co-labor with Jesus, there's nothing more rewarding. There's nothing more exhilarating. There's nothing more that gives us more purpose. People ask me a lot of times is, what is my purpose in life? What is my purpose? I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. And I say, follow Jesus and co-labor with him. That's it. It's pretty simple. But yeah, am I supposed to like, you know, be a superstar, or am I supposed to be a mailman, or am I supposed to be this and this? I don't know. You could do that, all of this, while you're being a superstar, while you're being a mailman, while you're being a plumber, while you're being the boss at Allstate, while you're being the the employee at Chick-fil-A. It doesn't matter. Your calling in life to co-labor with Jesus is to follow him and do what he's called you to do. Plain and simple. There. It's answered. That's the answer of life. All right. You guys doing all right? Hanging in there. Number three. Man, we're getting through these. I'm shotgunning you, but I get it. We're called to the same labor as Jesus. Some of these, you know, you're, you're like, well, these overlap. Yes, they do. They should overlap. We're all commissioned. We co-labor together. But we're called to the same labor as Jesus. What does that mean that we're called to the same labor? labor. What's, what's our mission here at Southlands Chino? To be and to make. Okay, three of us know it. To be and to make what? Disciples of who? All right. Let's, all right that was terrible. Let's do it again. 
to be and to make disciples of Jesus. That's the same mission. So when Jesus arrived as a little baby, actually conceived of the Holy Spirit through the Virgin Mary, subjected himself. I mean, this blows my mind. I was watching The Chosen the other day, and if I don't want to spoil it for you. It's not a spoiler. It's in the Bible. So, um, But, I mean, this part's not in the Bible. But Mary's talking about the birth, and the disciples are like, what was it like giving birth to the Messiah? And, and it dawns on her how normal it was, right? She, she noticed uh, that he was crying, you know? Hey, would you, could you imagine, like, giving birth to God and God crying in your house? No. And then she, she says something about how he was shaking because he was cold, and so she had to wrap him up in a blanket. And here, the creator of the universe, the one who set the stars in place and with a word and just breathed life, and, and he doesn't also just stand back. He continues to hold all things together. Our atoms are held together because Christ holds them together. Here the creator of the universe has subjected himself to the womb of probably a 15, 16 year old girl who is scared out of her mind. Should blow our minds. And I don't know where I was going with that, but we're to be and make disciples of Jesus. So somehow connect those together. And friends, if that is our mission statement, to be and make disciples of Jesus. That means, Southlands Chino, you do not have the right to get off on any other tangents. You don't. You don't have the right to stand up for your cause. Whether it's conservatism, conservatism, whether it's liberalism, whether it's wokeness, whether it, I don't care, whatever it is, it's all lives matter, be a, black lives matter, I don't care. You, we do not have the right to be able to say this is our cause. No, our cause is to be and make disciples of Jesus Christ, and we do that only through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Only. It's the only answer. You say, well, what about anti-racism? No. See, the answer for racism is not anti-racism. The answer for racism is Jesus. The only answer. And we could go, what, I don't know where, you, it, hey, it's fine to feel passionate about things. We should feel passionate about things. But if we start giving ourselves to these little tangents, then we become the church known as. See, we are meant to be the church known as followers of Jesus. When people talk about Southlands Chino, they should go, that's the church that makes much of Jesus all of the time. That's the church when they gather on a Sunday morning, they sing songs about Jesus. They hear the word preached about Jesus. Their fellowship, the way they encourage one another, the way they challenge one another, the way they speak truth to one another is through the language of Jesus because he's the center of who they are. And so we don't have the right to get off and say we're going to stand and plant the flag of anything else but the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's who we're called to be. I know that's not popular right now, and some of us might be like, cringing inside. But my encouragement, if, if there's something of that that is, you're feeling torn, maybe it's because you're giving your allegiances to something other than the gospel of Christ. And I would say, gently this morning, friends, if that's true, will you just align your heart back to the truth of Scripture? 
Will you align your thinking back to who God is and not on your own preferences, your own passions, your own tangents? Let's come back to who we're called to be, people who make much of Jesus, who are disciples of Jesus, and who make disciples of Jesus through Jesus, nothing else. Amen? All right. So we're called to the same labor as Jesus. That means we evangelize. Man, this is a hard one for us. If, if you were to say, what are the strengths of Southwest Chino? We'd probably say, man, we're really good at community, aren't we? We're great at community. When people walk through our doors, they, they often say, we just love this community. People like, are friendly here and we get into each other's lives and we, we have grace for one another. We're good at it. And I think we're good at worship too. I think we, we live lives of worship. We're, we're good at not only just the, the, the singing part. Of, I mean, man, today was like, what in the heck? That was amazing, you know? Like, but not even just like, what in the heck? That was amazing singing. Like, it's like, man, we're good worshipers of Jesus. We give our lives to honoring Jesus. But I think we're, if we were to have a weak muscle, if we missed leg day, it was leg day, it was this. It's that our mission is a little anemic and our evangelism is a little anemic. You've heard, you've heard it said, I think it was Francis Assisi. Some people attribute it to him. I don't know if it's true, but he'll say something like, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. I want to push back on that and say, no, actually, the Bible, here's what the Bible says. Romans chapter 10, 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed, and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Again, there's no professional Christians. It's not just my job to preach on a Sunday morning. It's all of, all of our job to preach the good news to the people in our lives. Does that mean you get all, get all weird and preachy and change your voice and do like all this manipulative kind? No, I'm not saying that. Preaching the good news to unbelievers is basically sharing the story of who Christ is. It's the gospel. And you can live a good life till the cows come home. That will not save anyone. You must speak the word of God. So, my charge to you. Evangelize. But also, we see that in the same co-labor with Christ... We're better together as we evangelize, but also that we serve. Matthew 20, verse 28 says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as ransom for many. That's the same call. That wasn't just for Jesus. I'm going to say this over and over again today, friends. If we are disciples of Jesus, a disciple does what his master did. And so if we're saying we're following the master, the master did this, so therefore, I'll do this. And he laid down his life, and he served, and so therefore, I'm called to serve. And then the real fun one here is that we're called to die. 1 John 3.16, it says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Could that include physical death? It could. It could. And I would say probably right now in our season, it's more of a dying to self and our desires. But should we be ready to die for one another and for whatever Christ calls us to? We should. That's a fun one, right? 
I'm so glad you came this morning. What did the preacher talk about? Talk about? He talked about dying. It was amazing. All right. You guys, attending church, not doing bad things, giving 10%, that's, that's, not, that's barely in scratching co-laboring. You say, man, I, I attend and I don't do bad stuff. I don't kick the dog. Well, good for you, you know, but co-laboring is us surrendering 100% of our life. It's the same mission. Whatever you saw Jesus do, that's what you do. If you're not sure what to do, go read the Gospels. And if you're not sure how God can speak to you, the Word of God is the number one way that God will speak to you. If you haven't heard God's voice in a long time, maybe you haven't opened up the Bible. All right. How are you guys doing? We're almost done. I got three minutes. All right. We could do this. Number four. The labor we're called to is through the Holy Spirit. So if you're sitting here at any time and you're feeling a little bit encouraged in your flesh, that's the wrong thing. See, I'm here to just speak truth to you and to encourage you and so somehow that the Holy Spirit who is alive in you if you're a Christian will then therefore give you the power to do what we're called to do. If we go out of here today and go, yeah, let's go take the mountain in our own flesh, we're just going to fall off the cliff like lemmings and drown. That's not what we're called to do. There has to be something other than our own ability to do what we're called to do because what we're called to do is impossible. It's impossible. So we have to know that it's through the Holy Spirit that these things get done. So the Holy Spirit, number one, teaches us and reminds us. Teaches us and it reminds us. John 14, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, Jesus is saying to his disciples, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. The disciples are freaking out. Jesus is saying, I'm leaving. And they're like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? How in the world is this? This doesn't feel right. And Jesus says, chill. It's going to be okay. I'm actually going to send somebody. It's going to be the Holy Spirit. It's actually God. And when I leave, what he's going to do, all these things that we've been doing for three years that you've been like trying to write down, and you're like, I missed that. What did he say? What was number four? I don't know. Uh, and, and so all of those things, what's going to happen is the Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to empower you, and he's going to remind you of the things that I taught you. So that when you're called to be on mission, and you're trying to do all these things out of your own strength, you go, okay, I can't do this. Holy Spirit, please help me. Please teach me. Please remind me all of what Jesus commanded me to do. You don't have to do it in your own strength. Isn't that good news? Yeah, it's really good news. And then, see, not only this is that the Holy Spirit teaches and reminds us, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, not us. John 16, 7 through 8, 8 says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Again, here Jesus saying to his disciples, For if I do not go away, the Helper uh, will not come to you, but if I do go, I will send him to you, and when he comes, this is what the Holy Spirit does, he will convict the world considering, considering sin, righteousness, and judgment. You cannot argue anybody into the kingdom of God. You can't do it. Your friend, your family member, the grumpy person at Thanksgiving coming up, who's, it's not going to happen. You have nothing valuable enough to say that can transform someone's heart from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You have no power inside yourself to be able to rescue someone from their sins. You have no power to be able to speak something so clever that all of a sudden, oh, I now I see it. It's only the power of the Holy Spirit who can take a dead heart 
and regenerate it and bring it into the kingdom of God. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. So take the pressure off yourself. Take the, take the fleshly trappings of trying to be co-laboring with Christ off of your flesh, off of your own abilities, and put them in and trust in the power of the Holy Spirit. What do you need to do, though? You need to surrender. You need to submit. You need to ask for the filling, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Do you guys... Thanks, brother. Do you see why the Holy Spirit is not a force to give you good feelings during a church gathering? It's not who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit isn't here so that we can all go, ooh, I think the hairs of my arms are getting raised up as we sing that song. Man, wasn't that a good service? Like, didn't you feel good? Well, yes, the Holy Spirit's the comforter. Yes, he's the, what the Greek says, parakletos, kletos, I think that's how you say it, the one who walks alongside us. He is those things. But when the Holy Spirit empowers us every single time, over and over again, you see in the New Testament, when the Holy Spirit comes, boldness comes upon those. Peter preaches a sermon. 3,000 people get saved. Why? Because the Holy Spirit came. Tongues of fire. Holy Spirit comes every time. Every time the Holy Spirit comes, boldness rises up within the disciples. Boldness to what? Look cool? No. Boldness to proclaim who Christ is. And we need boldness today. We need boldness. Oh, man. There's not, I don't even, I'm just going to skip. What do I skip? Which, what do you want me to skip? Okay. Uh, so we're meant to do greater things too. So I don't know if you've ever heard preachers say, you know, we're going to do greater things than Jesus did because Jesus said that. And then we're like subject, subjectively understanding what does it mean greater things. And it means like the miracles I'm going to do, like Jesus healed with a guy with spit and then he had to like you know do it again and pray twice and like well because you know jesus is gone now i'm going to do better miracles that's not what the bible's saying see when the holy spirit has come upon us there is this horsepower right there's the, i can do eight thousand but that together we could do thirty two thousand and all of us and so this greater power of the holy spirit emboldening all of his people together there's going to be greater impact Greater impact of the kingdom of God being poured out. Why isn't it happening? I don't know. Are we co-laboring together? All right. And then let's just end with this. Practicals. This, this comes from my friend Brian. who leads a church in Houston. And he gives us some practicals that are really helpful. And number one, this is what he says. If we want to co-labor with Jesus... You have to prioritize your life around co-laboring. <clears throat> How you doing with that? So just think about, let's take your money for a second. The thing that every pastor likes to talk about, money all the time. Trust me, I hate talking about money. I, that was a joke, by the way. I don't like talking about money. Because I know it gets awkward. But let's take our money. Let's take our wallet. If you were to say... If you were to look at your bank account and you look at your, your statement of all the things you spent money on this past month, would it reflect co-laboring with Christ? Okay. I think you got two in there. Yes. 
two out of 98 transactions, you know? Doing pretty good. Um, what about, let's just, let's just get off money for a second, right? Um, let's talk about what about the time you've spent. Um, well, let's, let's talk about time. What about social media for those of us? Mm, you know, your phone, if you have an Apple, um, will let you see how many hours you were on Facebook and Instagram or what are you young children? TikTok, but they don't do it as good as Apple does it. That's a problem. I don't know. Um, and how many hours would it reflect you giving over to social media and going, oh, I really like that makeup trend right now. Or, um, you know, I've been looking at golden retrievers this past two weeks. Right? Um, I don't know. What, what, so what about your time? What about, I don't know, friendships? How you've given yourself... What about, you know, how you've spoken to people who don't know Jesus? I don't know. We just keep going on and on and on with this, right? And we are meant to prioritize our life around co-laboring. Why? Because Kelly said so this morning? No. Because we are disciples of Jesus. And disciples of Jesus have been commissioned to make disciples of Jesus. Allah, Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples. Because that's the reason we exist here this morning. To be encouraged to go make disciples. That's, you know why churches have bells? We don't have a bell. But there's one on the other side of Chino High School that has a bell. I don't know if you've ever heard it. Ding dong ding. It's like, that's a nice sound. No, it's not just a nice sound. That bell is ringing out to what? Say, Guys, we are here. We're in this city. We're in the community. We are a city on a hill. We're a light. We don't put it under a basket. We're here to come and preach the gospel. So listen, we're calling out. We should get some church bells. Who's going to ring them? You know, I don't know. It's not going to be me. So, All right. Practicals, number one, prioritize your life. Number two, invite people into your life, into your home. This is called hospitality. Hospitality. Invite people into your home. When's the last time you invited somebody who's not from church or a Christian into your world to be able to see your messy house? Like, I, I'm always freaking out when we have people coming over and I always have to apologize and give the disclaimer, I'm sorry, it's not usually this messy. And then I'm like, I'm saying this a lot. So maybe it is this messy a lot. <laughs> but can somebody walk in your house and just see the messiness and be like, okay with it? Most people don't care, right? But is your home welcoming in that regard? Are you setting it up to be hospitable so people can come in and not feel like, oh, you know, are you being hospitable to people in your life, especially unbelievers? And one of those ways is to share your testimony last one. Here's, here's a very practical thing, right? We'll end with this. Everybody's got a story, right? Some stories are really like flamboyant and like got a lot of drama in them. And then some stories are like mine. My story about following Jesus is when I was a little kid, I grew up in a Christian home. Whoa. You know, I don't have any tattoos, you know. Uh, I've never killed anybody. I've never, I've never been to jail. I've actually never done drugs. I've never been drunk. 
I'm not saying that because all those things saved me. Because here's my, here's my story. In spite of me being a pretty good kid, moral, moral behavior, and growing up in a Christian home, and knowing all these good things, it didn't save me. See, I came to a point where I realized I was trying to, like, go to God and say, because I've never, I've never done this, and I've never done that, and I've always been in a Christian home, so therefore I probably deserve heaven. It dawned on me that none of that stuff earns me salvation. What earns me salvation is the blood of Christ and Christ going to the cross for me on my behalf in spite of my good moral behavior. Because the Bible says, no matter how good I am, that righteousness is what the Bible says is filthy rags. It's nothing. And so I try to present these filthy rags to God, and he's like, what do you want me to do with this? See, my story is Christian home, been a good boy my whole life, but I still needed Jesus. And that's the story we need to tell. Maybe you're on the other, like, I was a bad boy, I was a bad girl, and Jesus rescued me. It doesn't matter. You're not better or worse because of your history. All, we all together, the same person, we're same disciples and worth and value in Christ because we were all deserving of death, wicked and depraved. But yet God in his grace comes and he rescues us and pulls us out of the miry clay. And what? He puts our feet on a firm foundation. And so we can say, I didn't change myself. Jesus changed me. I didn't find Jesus. Jesus found me. Amen? All right, let's stand this morning.